Well, just a short time ago, Newsweek magazine did a poll, and they asked several thousand people, what do you think happens when we die? 67% said, well, you're either going to go to heaven or hell. 13% said, there is no heaven or hell, but you are going to go somewhere. We are going to go somewhere into some kind of spiritual realm. 6% said, when you die, when your heart stops beating, it's over, it's done, there's nothing else. 5% said that they believe in reincarnation. When you die, you come back as a dog or a fish or a flower or a tree or something else. 9% said, I have absolutely no idea what happens after you die. They followed that up with another question and said, can a good person who doesn't share your religious beliefs still go to heaven? And 79% of people said yes. I'm sure that most of you are familiar with a, a guy by the name of Larry King. Larry King was a famous television commentator for decades. He's 85 years old now, and he is obsessed with death and dying. Kind of hit home to him a few years ago when CNN let him go and he lost his weekly television show. He started thinking about the fact that he was going to die. He was aware of his mortality. He's had cancer. Uh, He's had diabetes. He's had seven divorces. He's been through a lot of life, lived a lot of life. And because of his fear of death, even now at 85 years old, he takes several growth hormone pills And uh, the interviewer was asking him about another recent decision he has made, and that was to make arrangements to have his body frozen after he dies so that if the technology exists in the future, that they can bring him back to life and he can live again. And the interviewer asked him, he said, do you really think that that's going to work? And Larry King looked back at him and paused and kind of chuckled a little bit, and he said, I know it's ridiculous, but at least it gives me a little bit of hope. Nobody else has any hope. Another interviewer was talking to Johnny Depp, the movie star, if some of you are familiar with him, and he said very clear, the interviewer was asking him how he felt about death, and he said, hey, I figure as long as you can breathe, breathe. As long as you can have fun with your kids, have fun with your kids. Because when it's over, it's just dirt and worms. That's it. We may think that those responses sound kind of extreme, but I really think it's a pretty good reflection of how our world looks at life and death. There's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uncertainty. A lot of people have no idea what happens when we die, and no idea what is going to happen in the future. We know that everyone that's here, because you've lived life for a certain amount of time, everyone here has lost someone that you love, including me. You've lost a spouse or a parent or a child or a dear friend. And the struggle to understand life and death and what comes next has been going on since the very beginning, since the Garden of Eden. And these questions are not really that different 
from 54 AD when the Apostle Paul wrote the book of 1 Thessalonians. That's what we've been going through. If you've been here the last few weeks, we've been going through 1 Thessalonians. And Paul, in the next 17 verses we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, is going to explain what's going to happen. This week we're going to talk about the what. This is what is going to happen. And then next week we're going to talk about the when. This is when it's going to happen. So we need to know this as we get started this morning, that after Jesus died and was buried and rose again, he ascended into heaven. If you read Acts chapter 1, those first six or eight verses there, you see that Jesus ascended back into heaven. But what I want us to understand this morning is this, that one day Christ will return for his people. And that's what Paul's going to talk about here. So let's see what Paul has to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to start there in verse 13. I want you to see, first of all, Paul's concern. Look at verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. So Paul's primary concern here is that people would understand Now, I want you to look at the verse for a minute and answer the question in your mind as we look at it, why was Paul so concerned that they would understand what happens after death and what happens with Christ's return? Why does he want them to understand? What does the verse say? Because he doesn't want them to suffer and grieve like people who have no hope, right? Is that up there? I know it's up there because Christy put it up there. Can you guys see that? Can you see that on the screen? Okay, I'm just making sure because it kind of seems like nobody knows what's going on here. When they put a verse up there, you guys go ahead and read it and then we'll talk about it. How's that? Okay? So look what it says. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Why did Paul want them to understand? He wanted them to understand because I don't want you to be sorrowful like people who have no hope. Why is that? What does that mean? It means that there is hope. He said, unfortunately, there's a whole large cross-section of our world who suffers and grieves hopelessly or looks ahead to death like Larry King, apparently, or Johnny Depp, and many other people, and they have no hope. Paul says, I don't want you, speaking to the Thessalonians and speaking to us as Christ followers, I don't want you to grieve like that. I don't want you to suffer like that, because there is hope. Now, Paul is not going to answer every question that we have about the end times in this passage. He's not going to answer every question that we have about how it's all going to work and the timing of it all. That's not his point here. He is going to explain much of it to us, but his primary purpose is to give us comfort and hope. He's going to talk about that right at the end as well. Now, I want you to notice there in the verse, he says, concerning those or about those who are asleep. Now, the phrase asleep or those who are asleep here is just referring to those that have died. 
Okay, it was a common expression to use when talking about people who have died, to talk about them being asleep. Over ten different passages in the New Testament talk about those who have died and, and the word asleep is used. Some people wrongly look at this and talk about things like soul sleep. If you've ever heard uh, anybody talk about that before, that after we die, our, our souls go into this place of limbo for a while. That's not what Paul is talking about here, and there's nothing really to corroborate that. He's just talking about those that have passed away. Now, as we walk through this and we talk about this hope that Paul wants us to understand, I want you to know this as we talk about it. In no way, as we go through this and see the hope that we have, are we saying that grief is not real. We're not saying that. Okay? Grief is real. Grief is a part of life. And we don't avoid it as Christ followers. Paul's not saying, I want you to know this so that you can avoid grief. My friends, the only way to avoid grief is to avoid this life. Grief is a part of life. I'm not saying I want you to avoid it, I want you to understand it and process it differently than people who have no hope. So he's going to explain it here. Let's notice in the next verse, he talks about our faith in verse 14. For, or because, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. I'm really glad we sang that song that we just did right before this message. We believe. We believe that Jesus died and he rose again and that he's coming back again. And what you need to understand as you process this is that a huge part of believing that Jesus died and rose again is that he is coming back. These are connected. We can't separate them. And Paul says, because we believe that, we believe that he is going to come back. Or believe there means the confidence, this confidence based on the truth of what Jesus has already done. Notice here, and this is the first piece of new information for the Thessalonians, and maybe it's new information for you too if you've never really thought about this or maybe haven't even ever read this passage or heard it before. He says that when Jesus returns, he's going to bring the souls of Christ followers who have already died, he's going to bring them with him. He's going to talk a little bit more about that in the next verse. Now, how do we know that Jesus can do this? How do we know that that he's going to come back? How can we trust him? Well, we know we can trust him because we have already seen and we already know and believe that Jesus rose again himself. And in rising again himself that we celebrated Easter, that is a demonstration to us That Christ does have the power to do this, okay? Now, if we were were going along sometime, Jay and I were out on the road, and we were going on a road trip together, and Jay knows very well that I don't even know which end of a wrench to put on a bolt under a hood of a vehicle, 
and he knows this about me, and we're driving down the road, and all of a sudden there's a horrible sound from under the hood, and smoke is rolling out of it, and we pull over to the side of the road, and we jump out, and I say, Jay, just relax, I got this. Don't worry, you just sit in the truck, sip a bottle of water, I got it. I'm going to open the hood here, and I'm going to fix this, get us back on the road in no time. Jay has absolutely no confidence that that is going to take place. Why? Because he knows. He has never seen me fix anything that runs on gasoline in his life. In fact, I am famous for telling people, if I put gas in it and turn the key and it doesn't start, I'm done. Somebody else has to step in because that's the extent of my knowledge. He has no confidence Now, if Jay and I had hung out in the garage every Friday night working on race cars, tearing out engines, putting new ones in, replacing transmissions, fixing the rings, putting new pistons in, I know all the lingo, I just don't know how to do any of it. If we had spent every Friday night doing that for the past 10 years, And the car blew up, and we drifted over to the side of the road, and I said, Jay, don't worry, just relax, sit down, take a load off, I'm going to fix this and get us back on the road. He'd say, yeah, no problem, I'm good. Why? Because he'd have confidence, because he'd seen me do it before. And that's what Paul is talking about here. For since, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, he is going to come back. He's going to bring with him those who have already died, and he is going to take us, and he's going to explain the whole thing here. Why can we have confidence? Because we have seen that Jesus has died and risen again. We know that he has the power over life and death. In John 14, 19, he says it this way. Melody referred to some verses from at the beginning of John 14 a few minutes ago. Later in that conversation, he says to the disciples, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Notice what he says. Because I live, you also will live. Why do I have confidence that there is something more than this life? That life after death really is a thing? Why do I have that confidence? Because I know that Christ is alive. Because I know that he lives after death. And that's what Christ is telling the disciples here. Let's keep going. We see the Lord's declaration in verse 15. Paul continues, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Paul says, I'm declaring this to you. That's a very important word. Literally, And this may sound kind of strange when we first say it here, but literally the word declare means to lay down to sleep. I'm declaring this to you. It means to lay down to sleep. But what the implication here in this context is, he said, let's put this to rest. Okay, because there's a lot of people who are saying a lot of different things, and there's a lot of misunderstanding here, and everybody thinks they know what happens after you die, and everybody thinks they know what's going to happen in the future, so let's just put this to rest. That's what he's saying. I'm declaring this to you, Now I want you to notice that this is not Paul's opinion. 
This is a word from the Lord. We declare it to you by a word from the Lord. God is declaring this. This will happen. I think if you and I were to go out on the street and do something like Newsweek did in that poll that I just referred to a few minutes ago, we'd probably get the same thing. There's all kinds of opinions out there. In fact, if, if a bunch of us stood around in a circle here in a little bit and we said, what do you think happens? What do you think happens? What do you think happens? We'd probably get a bunch of different answers because we all have opinions. And that's why Paul says, I want you to know, I'm going to declare that this is God's word. When the creator of the universe speaks, we need to stop. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody and they keep going on and on and on and you can't get a word in edgewise and, and they just keep telling you what they think and what they think and you don't care and you're trying to tell and you and they just keep going and going and you just say, stop! Take a breath. <laughs> and that's what Paul's saying here. We're declaring this to you. You need to stop. When the creator of the universe speaks, you and I need to stop speaking. This is what's going to happen. And Paul reveals this here, and God reveals it through him. Look, we see Christ's return in verse 16. Paul says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, stop. Stop talking about what you think is going to happen. Here's what God says is going to happen. There's a sequence. Christ is actually going to descend from heaven, he says. We know that Jesus was born. The scripture says the Holy Spirit performed a miracle in Mary's womb. And Jesus was born, took on a human body. We call that the virgin birth because Mary and Joseph had not been together. But the Holy Spirit did that miracle. He was born. He lived on this earth for 30 some odd years. He walked around. He taught. He had relationships. He performed miracles. He died on the cross. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again. He was seen again for another 40 or 50 days by hundreds of people. And then Acts 1 says that he ascended into heaven. Jesus is bodily in heaven right now. And what Paul is telling us is that there's coming a day when he is going to descend. He ascended into heaven, and there's coming a day when he is going to descend from heaven. There's going to be a shout. There's going to be a trumpet. An archangel is going to call out. And then it says, the dead in Christ will rise from the grave. Now, I don't know how closely you guys are paying attention here, but does anybody see a little bit of a conflict? Anybody putting two and two together here? No? Okay. We'll just keep going. Remember what we read a couple of verses ago? It said Jesus is going to bring with him those who have died. Now this says the dead in Christ are going to rise. What's he talking about here? How does this work? What does this mean? When someone dies, when someone we love dies, what do we do in this culture? We have a funeral service. We take that person's body that we love and we put it in the ground, right? 
That's what we do in this culture. We know that God's Word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that when we are, as Christ followers, Paul says, absent from the body, we are present with the Lord, he says. So here's what happens. Our bodies are temporary, aren't they? They only last for so long. You learn this as you get a little bit older. As the days add up, as the birthdays tick by, looks like some of you have had a few more than I have had, some of you have had a few less, but it happens to all of us, right? And our body starts to break down. We're not in as good a shape as we were, we're not as strong as we are, we can't run as fast or as far. Our knees creak when we go up and down the stairs. Okay, enough of that. But what happens is our bodies are temporary, but our souls are eternal. And so when we die, we bury the body in the ground, but our souls, for those of us who know Christ, are with him. And so what Paul is saying is this, when Christ comes back, when he descends and he brings those who have died in Christ with him, The souls of those who have died in Christ are with him because they've been with him in heaven right now. If you have anyone that you know and love that you've lost who is a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ, their souls are with him right now. Like right now. The second their souls are with Christ. Now their bodies are in the ground. And so when Christ comes back, He is going to use that resurrection power that he already demonstrated when he rose from the grave. He's going to come back with the souls of those who have died in Christ, and he's going to resurrect their bodies out of the ground. And he's going to bring soul and body back together. They're going to be changed. Again, this is not an opinion, this is truth. This is what the scripture says. In 1 Corinthians 15, 52, Paul says it this way, speaking of that same moment when Christ comes back, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and notice this, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. So what is the promise that we have in Christ? The promise that we have in Christ is that we will always be with the Lord. We're going to read that here in a minute when we get to the end of this passage. Well, I don't know about you. I am willing to admit this. I don't know about you, but this body is not going to last for eternity. Glenn, it's not going to work. (laughs) It's not going to last, okay? You're going to need an update, okay? It's going to be Glenn 2.0, okay? I know, a lot of us have been waiting for that. It's going to happen, Glenn. It's going to happen. It's going to happen for all of us. It's going to be Julie 2.0 and Glenn 2.0 and Mike 2.0. Paul says this mortal body must put on immortality, this perishable body must put on incorruption. And so in that moment, 
when Christ descends with the souls of those who have died in Christ and their bodies are resurrected from the grave and he reunites soul and body of those who have died in Christ, he is going to wonderfully, miraculously change their bodies into a body that will last for all of eternity. That's what's going to happen. Now I want you to look at the next verse and let's see our reunion here in verse 17. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. So are you picturing this? Are you tracking as we try to put this all together? This is going to be a shout and a trumpet, and the archangel is going to cry out. Christ descends. The souls of those in Christ who have died, their bodies come out of the grave. He changes them. He reunites their soul and body. And then notice what's going to happen. Those of us who are still alive, when this happens, are going to be caught up. We're going to be taken. The word here that Paul uses is actually kind of a violent word. It means snatched. It means taken away, ripped out. There is coming a moment in time in the future when Christ will return. And when he does, all of those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, who are still alive, will be gone. We'll be gone. It will be sudden. The verses I just read for you from 1 Corinthians, Paul says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We're not going to be walking around saying, do I see you? It's been good, good to see you, you know. Love being your friend. It's been real. We're taking off. No, it's just going to happen in an instant. We'll be gone. Snatched is what Paul says. We'll be gone. What I want you to see here in this, in this verse my absolute favorite word in this whole passage, maybe my favorite word in this whole book. (laughs) We who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. See the next word? We'll be caught up together, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Together. Together with who? Together with those who have already died in Christ, that we love, whom we haven't seen maybe for a year or 10 years or 50 years or however long it's been, will be caught up together. Christ has come back with their souls. He's reunited their souls and bodies. He's remade them into a body that will last for eternity. All of this is happening in an instant. And then all of a sudden we are snatched out. And as he snatches us out and we go to meet the Lord in the air, Christ is not even, he's not even coming to the earth. He's just going to be coming, descending in the clouds, and he's going to take us. And as he takes us and we go to meet Christ, what's going to happen? Oh, it's going to be a beautiful reunion. It's going to be a beautiful reunion. I love that word. Together. Together. I've got a brother-in-law and a sister-in-law and two grandmothers 
and two grandfathers and a son. And I'm looking. I'm looking for them. I can't wait. can't wait to see them together. And for the rest of time in eternity, we will be with Christ. Notice what he says there. What does he say? We will always be with the Lord. We will never be separated from him again. Ever again. Now, if you dive into the book of Revelation and you start in about chapter 6 and you read through to about chapter 19 or so, that's a period of time that is commonly known as the Great Tribulation, all of these horrifying judgments that are going to take place on the earth. And every time we see Christ, and every time Christ interjects into the situation, we see that his people are with him. Because when Christ comes back and takes us to be with himself, we're never going to be separated from him again. I want you to just notice in the last verse of this passage our encouragement. Verse 18. He says, therefore, because of this, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another. Paul gives us a lot of information here, and he wants us to understand, but again, remember, his primary concern in this passage is that we be comforted in the knowledge of what is going to take place. There's nothing so worrisome, there's nothing so anxiety-inducing as uncertainty. And Paul says, I don't want you to be uncertain, I want you to know this is what's going to happen. And he says, I want you to encourage each other with these words. The the word encourage means to come alongside. It really means to wrap your arm around someone, to put your arm around someone's shoulder and encourage them and comfort them. And by the way, that's something that cannot be done from afar. It needs to be done up close. It's the same word that, that Jesus uses in the book of John, to describe what the Holy Spirit does to us. He comforts us. He encourages us. And Paul says, I want you to do it to each other. Encourage one another. We need to come alongside each other, and we need to remind each other at times of difficulty, in times of grief, and times of pain in our lives, and say, remember, this is not the end. This isn't the end for those of us who love Jesus. He's coming back. And all of those that we love who have had a relationship with Christ, we will see them again. This is not the end. We need to be doing this for each other. Friends, listen to me. One day, Christ will return for his people. He's coming back. It will happen. This is not the end. There is more. Revelation 21 describes that time after Christ comes back and we're reunited with him and with those that we love who have died in Christ. And as he describes that time, he says, there's not going to be any more death after that. There's no more death, no more pain and no more crying. And all of this, and by this I mean all of the garbage that we deal with in our world, it's all going to be gone. Everything is going to be new. This is so important for us to understand. Let me just very quickly just give you a couple of thoughts about why this is so important for us. Number one, it changes how you view God. 
Understanding this changes how you view God. Because here's what happens when we do live this life and we do wade through all the garbage of this life and we do lose those that we love and our hearts are broken when they are ripped out of our lives. We can have a tendency to say, God, why are you doing this? Why are you being so cruel to me? Why are you allowing me to suffer? And friends, we do suffer. There's no doubt about that. And we do question why. That's very natural. And and by the way, God can handle it. When that happens in your life and you say, why, God? He can handle it. He's not scared by that. But when we understand this that Paul is teaching us in this passage, it changes how we view God. Because we understand that God is not being cruel to us. He is preparing us for the real life that is to come. We think this is real life. This is not real life. This is the prelude to real life that is coming after Christ comes back. It also changes how we view death because we're reminded that this is not the end, that there is hope. And I don't know about you, but I need this very often. It's a reminder that there is a better day coming. You ever get halfway through your day and think, I don't want to do this day anymore. I want to reject this one and get a new one. This changes how we view death. There's a new day coming. It changes how we view ourselves too because it reminds us that we have incredible value in God's eyes. My friends, do you know how valuable your life is? Do you know how valuable you are to God? You're so valuable that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the earth to live and die for you, and he's sending him again in the future to take you to be with himself. That's how valuable you are. It changes how we view ourselves. It also changes how we view others. There's people in your life And people in my life that you love, that I love, that God loves, but who have no relationship with Jesus Christ. And my friends, I need you to understand here as we close this morning that they are not included in this plan. This that Paul talks about is for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's another passage that talks about those who die without Christ. It's not encouraging and hopeful like this one. What does that mean? Well, it needs to change the way that we view others. You know that Newsweek question? Do you believe that people who have different beliefs than you will still go to heaven when they die? And 79% of people said, yes, they believe that. That's not what the Scripture teaches What did Jesus say in John 14 after he told the disciples not to be anxious, that if he left, he would come back, that he was preparing a place, that they would be with him through all of eternity? What did he say at the end of that passage? He said, when Thomas said, Jesus, that's wonderful, but we don't know where you're going, and how are we going to get there? How will we know the way? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. My friends, you need to know this for your own comfort, but you also need to know this because it changes the way that you view other people. This is for those who love Christ. 
And that's why we do what we do. That's why we're here this morning. That's why we reach out into our community. That's why we challenge you to care for the people that are around you. Because one day Christ is coming back. And he's coming back only for those who are related to him. Who trust him and what he has done for them on the cross. We're going to celebrate communion here this morning. And this is what we're celebrating, actually. We're celebrating the fact that not only did Jesus come once and die on the cross and rise again for us and our salvation, but we're also celebrating the fact that he's coming back. Communion is about two things. It's about looking back and being thankful and looking ahead and being hopeful. So this morning... As we ask the folks to come to pass out communion, that's what I want you to be thinking about, okay? I want you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. We're going to pray. And I want you to ask yourself, first of all, am I in the place that I need to be with Christ? Do I have that relationship? Am I solid in that? Is that secure in my mind and in my heart? And if so, then I'm going to give thanks for that this morning as we celebrate communion. If that's not you this morning, if you say, you know, I really, I'm not even sure what that means for one thing, so I'm pretty sure I don't have that, then come up and see me after we're done this morning. I'd love to talk to you about that. But this morning as we take communion, let's give thanks for what Christ has done and let's look ahead to what he's going to do when he returns. The folks are going to come and pass out the communion as we play and as we sing. They're going to pass those along the rows. Just go ahead and take one if you want to participate in communion this morning. If you don't, you can pass it along. There's a few little packages in the center of each tray. Those are gluten-free communion wafers. If you need that for dietary reasons, feel free to grab one of those. They're going to pass out the drink. And we just ask you to go ahead and give thanks as we sing, and then at the end we'll all stand together and be closed. Father, thank you for all of your goodness to us. Thank you for the privilege we have to know your word and to read it. And we thank you too for the promise of Christ's return. As we celebrate communion this morning, Lord, we give thanks for all that you have done for us. And we ask your blessing on these few moments of reflection together in Christ's name.